This is The Shift Podcast. And coming up today on The Shift Daily Podcast, what makes a hockey jersey special? Graphic designer Charlie Davidow shares the secrets to making a timeless hockey sweater and names some of the best of all time. And British Columbia is the latest province to delay the start of the school year. BCTF President Terry Mooring shares how this will impact teachers. Is this the right move? And what more is needed to curb COVID-19 in schools in 2020? Plus, are you okay with drones? This is the Shift Podcast. And let's do this. Are you okay? Are you okay with drones? Um, I, no, like, I don't need one, you know. Like if somebody gave me a drone, I would never use it. Yeah. I think they do, they provide like really awesome use in movies and uh, creative aspects. And I think the technology is pretty neat. Um, but I don't, like drone culture in of itself is not something I'm, I'm very interested in personally. Yeah. Brendan? Yeah, I think I like them for the creative aspect. They get great shots uh, when you're you know filming stuff, um, and um, I've noticed them in sports television coverage to some sports like golf, and uh, I've seen them in uh, NFL, NFL yep. motorsports, yep. all kinds of things. Formula One, it's that they always offer pretty awesome shots, especially in like Formula One and racing where I've seen totally. them where the cars are flying at the drone. Oh, it's, it's actually they just pretty good. It. Yeah, yeah. It's, cool. it's pretty rad. Some of the things that they can do, but I absolutely hear you. Uh, about the drone culture thing, Ryan, near my house, there is a bunch of playing fields like for, you know, soccer and baseball and all of the various things. And they're very well maintained uh, and set right in the middle of them. Interestingly enough is a uh, drone airfield. A drone airfield. It's like a space eh? for, yeah, it's like a space for people to go and fly their drones. And uh, we've gone there with our kids, and the kids don't know the difference between the drone field and the soccer field. And they've run onto the drone field, and the drone guys get pissed. They get pissed. It's like, we we only have this one field. You guys have all these other fields, which I understand. But, like, chill. Chill, drone guys. But, yeah, it's true. They can do some pretty neat things. They're basically crucial for movies these days. And all the social media kids are using them to up their game. But it seems that someone in Mississippi wants to create a new type of drone. The kind that drops cast iron objects on people. I don't mean to laugh. That's terrible. A woman was hit by a small decorative boat anchor that fell from above her home around 7.30 Monday evening. I laugh because it's a boat a boat yeah. anchor. Like, that would kill yeah. someone, except that it's a small decorative boat anchor. Here's more from WLOX. Weighing in at about half a pound of cast iron, this object fell from the sky Monday night, striking a Gaucher woman. They were transported to the uh, hospital and released. Sergeant James McGee with the police department is one working the case. Family member Serenity Smith tells me the woman injured was her 20-year-old sister-in-law. The two were outside the family home at the corner of Periwinkle Cove and Plumeria Drive, right off of Dolphin Drive, when police say a drone dropped the small-sized decorative anchor. The thing is, they can vary from a small miniature drone that a small child could play with. 
uh, up into, you know, $20,000 or, or higher end um, drones that can carry bigger objects. Um, and so this can be a danger where you're dropping objects that could possibly injure residents and, and things in the area. So we are taking it seriously because it could cause serious bodily injuries. Smith says the falling object fractured her sister-in-law's arm and shattered her phone screen and that it isn't the first time something like this has happened, but the fourth. She told WLX that within the last month, three glass objects were also dropped above the home near Dolphin Drive. Police are searching for the captain of this very annoying and dangerous craft. Now, yes, terrible thing. Don't use your drone to drop things. But again, the idea that a drone can pick some stuff up and move it around, potentially useful, right? Oh, yeah. We had a story a while ago of uh, somebody trying to fly... Uh, some drugs, cigarettes, and other contraband via drone into a prison, mm. and they accidentally landed and left the package in a uh, elementary school parking lot instead. Yeah, it's not good. Not great. Not great. Yeah. Blame that one on operator error, though, right? Really, the drone mm-hmm. didn't do anything wrong. I mean, this thing, too. Hey, this thing here, too. I'm wondering how you rig it to, like, what is the point? Good, the guy, like whoever's doing this, clearly has something against this person. Right. I'm, thinking, I'm gonna rig a, a tech so I can drop it like a bomber crew. Yeah, like, like this person should maybe start thinking about who she's upset, who they've upset in yeah. their life, you know, before starting to attack the drone people. I'm not sure well, those I mean, are the people that you want on your bad side. Yeah, no, I, no, no. I just I'm on her side for this story. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. All right, are you okay? Are you okay with Nerf guns? Oh my god. A a monumental thing in my childhood. A core memory are Nerf Wars. Yeah. Like when I was young, I have this very clear image of like me and my friends had graduated high school and we were all hanging out and we were like playing video games. I was like, do you guys want to have a Nerf War? We were all 18 at that point. We're like, Hell yeah, we're out of a Nerf war and like turn the lights off, set up barricades, and it's amazing. Like, and and even when I moved out, my brother defended my arsenal of Nerf war, uh, Nerf guns from my mom who wanted to get rid of all of them. I still have all of them ready for the next grand battle. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. So much fun. I, I totally feel that, Ryan, a part of my childhood. Uh, we just called it playing guns. And obviously the guns were Nerf guns, but just like that was what we did. My cousins would come over and we'd go into the basement and we'd make traps and turn the lights off and then we'd play guns and, you know, with Nerf. For you, to you, Brandon? Uh, no, I was never uh, into the guns, like toy guns as a kid. I was always like, you know, Instead of simulating a, a gunfight, why don't we try to simulate a peaceful negotiation of our conflict? Uh, even as a child, yeah. And then yeah. somebody brings in the bazooka, nerf yes. gun, like yes. the full no. dart launcher, and they're like, and just "Take this peaceful conflict, peaceful restitution." Just uh, a smattering yeah. of foam you nerf. Could do so many things, Brendan. Like yeah. I remember, my one friend had like the the chain belt. Oh, like dude. 50 cal, quote, quote, you know, Nerf gun. And we would, he would set up a barricade at the back. And me and my brother, our goal is we had to run and capture the base before without getting shot. And literally, like, you know, it was all battery operated. So you turn on, you just hear, and then, <laughs> like, uh oh, bang, 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 bang. And it's just shoot, shoot. And, oh, you know, my gosh. Dodging the darts. 
I love Nerf I guns. I totally love it. It was the fun of being able to like recreate some of those things that you saw in the movies that you weren't supposed to watch as a kid without any real consequence. You know, you just get shot with a little foam dart. Yeah. It's fun. Nerf guns are the toys for when you just want to shoot at your friends in an epic battle. And this ad from the 90s can certainly sell you on that. Face it. You're either on one end of a Nerf weapon or the other. Time to choose. So you better think about getting yourself a bow and arrow or a Nerf missile storm. Excuse me, don't you just love this? Or an arrow storm. Or a very good hiding place. Don't you get it? It's Nerf. Or nothing. Yeah, nerf or nothing. Ryan O'Donnell would have the missile storm, and I would have the arrow storm, and Brendan Kelly would have the good hiding place. I would. I, you know, I really think I missed my calling in the Department of Foreign Affairs. <laughs> I was going to say, he would be bringing the peace treaty right. the, for us exactly. to sign, and then, yeah, we'd just go to war anyway. Well, over 20 years later, nerf is still trying to make their dart guns more insane. What is Nerf or nothing? It's the incredible speed of the Nerf Elite Hyperfire, capable of firing five darts per second. It's the impressive power of the Nerf Mega Mastodon, the biggest motorized Nerf blaster ever. And it's the incredible customization of the Modulus Tri-Strike, with three ways to blast and over 1,000 possible combinations. What is Nerf or nothing? It's speed, power, and customization. Batteries not included. It's Nerf or nothing. Uh, I'd like to draw attention to the fact that that gun can shoot five foam darts per second. If I had that as a kid, man, like uh, somebody would have lost an eye. I know they're just foam, but... Oh. The innovation that has gone into these things, it's so great. Now, Ryan, did you ever, uh, I mean, I know we're not supposed to, and I don't want to I don't want to give any ideas here or anything, but you could take toothpicks and stick them into no, the phone? No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not a maniac, no. The, we never modified the we darts. Would, maybe one thing, the closest thing I ever did is I modified my bike and I duct taped two pistols to the to the handlebars of my bike and i'd steer it with that and me and my friends would try to have nerf wars on bikes which uh did injure us but that was because i lost you fall all off control the bike. of the yeah. brake yeah that was just that i just injured myself yeah all right well nerf guns yeah they're for shooting friends in an all-out battle and not repeat not for harassing poor pedestrians on the train which is what happened in boston on monday when a nerf battle got nasty according to transit police a group of six to seven teenage boys were pointing nerf guns at several passengers in downtown crossing station in boston uh engaging another harassing and intimidating behavior according to transit police it got nasty when the teens allegedly shot toy projectiles at a 66 year old man he exchanged words further violence ensued and the group then physically attacked him punching and throwing him against a wall while they continued their vicious assault that part is terrible but i mean come on like you're gonna complain about a bunch of kids shooting you with nerf guns come on let them have some fun I I would probably I would probably if I was 66 years old and I got shot with a shot wow I was shot with a Nerf gun on a train it would depend if they shot and laughed at me like ha ha then I get angry but if they you know shot and laughed 
and then tossed me a gun yes. to shoot back at them, then we're going to have a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Two that's to do it. that's the way you need to do it is exchange Nerf mm. guns or just always have that Nerf Mega Mastodon five arrows a second thing in your backpack. Yeah. Just just at the ready in case some kids ever try to punk you on the train. All right, let's do one more. Are you okay? Are you okay with airports? I love yeah, the airport. Me too. It's like a nice kind of calming area that you can go like nine times out of ten. It's a good experience. Yeah, right? it comes and with it, this anticipation of a vacation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like to get there early and have a beer. Yeah, I like airports. I like yeah, I like that anticipation of waiting for the flight, and I like uh, like visiting a new airport. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, always so going through the same I remember one. first time I went to the Vancouver International mm-hmm. Airport. Yeah. I was like, whoa, we're spoiled here in Vancouver. Our airport is spoiled. pretty good. Yeah, I like it now. I used to love it. I only like it now because it just means my trip is over now. <laughs> right when you get back but it yeah. is nice to get into our especially international like it's so nice you know this waterfall and everything in there if you've never been to the vancouver airport you're missing out uh getting on a plane can be a pretty painless experience or can be very painful long lines crying babies long flights bad food and bad passengers now have you ever met a passenger like this one it appears that you're sitting in my seat Okay, I understand that you're offering me the aisle seat, but that is not the seat that I am assigned to. I am assigned to the middle seat. I don't want the window seat. That seat is assigned to your wife. I have the middle seat. I don't think you're understanding me. You're not going to be sitting next to your wife on this flight. You will be sitting next to me. And your wife will be sitting next to me. What what is what is what is that wow. from? It's a TikTok I, I saw this morning. Which oh. I was like <laughs> I I I've I've witnessed people like that on planes before and I just thought the voice he did with that just fit perfectly. Okay. Okay. Well, that can be the worst, but in order to meet a bad passenger, they need to get on the plane in the first place. And a woman has been arrested for running onto the tarmac at a Phoenix airport over the holiday weekend. According to court paperwork, 53-year-old Vicki Meyer was late for a Sunday afternoon flight at Sky Harbor after the jetway had already been secured. Myers then ran through doors separating the passenger area and the airfield, which were clearly marked with no passing, no trespassing signs. And she ran down a set of stairs towards the nose of the plane before she was stopped by employees. Myers, who is from St. Louis, reportedly told police she was trying to have the plane stopped so she wouldn't miss her flight. She faces one count of criminal trespassing. In what world do you think this is a good idea? In what world do you think they're going to let you on the plane? Oh, sorry, ma'am. They, they didn't let you in at the gate when they told you six times you can't? Well... You're welcome aboard my aircraft. Like, come on. I would say in a Hollywood world, like how many movies have there been where someone's like running down the runway after a plane or jumping on a wing or, you know, doing something that would never actually work in real life? You know what? Fair enough. Fair enough, Brendan Kelly. This is what happens when we're raised by Hollywood. Exactly. Right? Yeah. This is The Shift Podcast. 
We talk about jerseys a lot on this show because we're sports fans and because jerseys are super cool. It's a fun way to like mix art and sport. And it's uh, it's one of these things that we all just get absolutely passionate about. Ryan, I know you were mentioning that you went and got a jersey on Boxing Day or you ordered it mm-hmm. on Boxing Day. Are you willing to share what jersey it is? It is my, it's tied with my number one favorite jersey of all time. It is the Arizona, better call it the Phoenix. Okay. Phoenix Coyotes. Uh, Kachina yes. jersey. The, yes. The absurd logo that I just think is beautiful. Right. I and love that jersey. Like, that's one of the things about jerseys is they're pretty divisive, right? Some, th- some people think that logos are absurd and crazy. Other people think those logos are the best, like me growing up here in Vancouver. The Flying Skate Canucks logo is my logo, but people, I, I hate this, they call it the plate of spaghetti. Because that's that's what it looks like. So to help us kind of unpack uh, some of the jersey logic and what makes a good jersey and the trends in jersey making, uh, we have a graphic designer who, like, this is all he does is create and make jerseys. And uh, his name is Charlie Davidow. And if you can go to his Instagram page, it's CD24 underscore design. And there are some very... Very cool jerseys there that you can check out. Uh, Charlie, thanks for joining us on the line. What do you think it is that has caused so many uh, jerseys that we're seeing in all sports, but especially the NHL, to have this like retro thing? We did the reverse retro thing, and we're seeing this throwback, like the Canucks talking about going back to the black skate. Why is that? Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of them myself. Uh, a lot of my jerseys are inspired by kind of heritage throwback things. I think they're nostalgic. They're classic. Classic never goes out of style, in my opinion. And I think everyone just loves to see them, especially 90s jerseys. Those are extremely popular, which fits in with the Canucks red skate. Yeah, like absolutely. And I, th- I feel like I'm and again, like I'll we'll put a link up to your Instagram page because seriously, man, I could just scroll through it like so many things that you've done there. It is so cool. And I guess one of the things also being a Canucks fan, I feel like we have just been put through like crappy Jersey after crappy Jersey after crappy Jersey. And then you see these teams like in every sport that just have absolutely killer jerseys and they never seem to get it wrong. And then some teams never seem to get it right. So what, like, what are the essential elements that go into making a great jersey like you have the penguins jersey in the back there i have to tell you that's like one of my favorite all-time favorite jerseys right because like the penguin it's it's first of all it has the nostalgia the colors work awesome and i love the logo it's like not too serious right he's like wearing hockey gloves and stuff so i don't tell me what for you what you think goes into making a great jersey well i think it starts with the logo i know i've never been a huge fan of the canuck the current C Canuck logo that they got going. I love the retro, but I think it starts with the logo. The colors kind of have to work with each other. They can't cr- contrast too much, but they also can't blend in. And I think proportionality has to play a pretty big role. Like you, you know, mean size and stuff? Small. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So tell me for you, like who, obviously, like we mentioned the Penguins in the back there, like who's got jerseys that for you, like really do it? I love nearly every Rangers jersey. Uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of text down the north, even with Pittsburgh doing it now too. Uh, they're classic. I, I really love classic jerseys, so that does it for me. 
Yeah. Well, you did this. Uh, is it called the City Series? I am. Yes. City, City Series. City, right. Like, I love the Rangers one. You had like, it has like the subway logos for NYC. Is that, was that your thinking there? That was my thinking. Yeah, man. Like, it's so perfect. As a person who's like spent a lot of time in New York and uh, like loves that city, I feel like anyone in, who's a New Yorker now all of a sudden they feel like their jersey has this thing that is just like almost unique uh, to them. So, what, like, well, basically, let's go, let's go there. Tell me about that. Tell me about like the city series and what your idea was there. So with these series, these are probably the ones I think most about when making the jerseys. I do some research about the city. Either it could be landmarks or famous people. So, for example, my next jersey for Pittsburgh coming up, which I haven't made yet, I plan on basing it off Andy Warhol, who was a Pittsburgher. Um, but, you know, I like to look at the city skyline, the flags, the history, say with Philly and Boston historic cities, things like yeah, that. Super cool. Um, and then I guess we see some teams that it feels like are totally willing to, to put it out there. Like I think of the reverse retro coyotes Jersey, you know, it just, it's, it was, that was the one that everybody that I talked to wanted because it feels like they took a real risk, you know? And then we saw some like Toronto that it felt like they weren't doing anything. It's like, what do you like? The Jersey just never changes why do you feel like some designers are are like that and never want to change and some are just totally willing to do whatever and take chances and risks and stuff well i think change is hard especially with original six teams like detroit did nothing even some classic teams maybe not original six like the islanders leafs you know those teams they just don't really want to change it might be hard for their fans as much as some want to see it and I also love taking risks. I know I did a series in the past that was futuristic, and I didn't really that, love all of those jerseys. That that's the 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 thirty twenty one series. It is a thousand years in the future. Yeah, man. I have to tell you, like I looked at those. They reminded me of the current NBA jerseys. That that's what I got from them. And I feel like the NBA those teams do jerseys so much better you know like the raptors have so many cool jerseys and then i just i don't I, like it's hard being a canucks fan because i just feel we get like disappointment after disappointment after disappointment you know our jersey has never been good like i love i love the montreal Canadiens jersey and it, like i would be okay with never changing it if we had a good one but the raptors it feels like like the one that just says north on it i love that and then i saw some stuff that you had done like hockeyville you put on one you know, there's just some really, really cool stuff there. So maybe talk a bit about that. Like, where do you get, so you get inspiration, like you talked about from artists from the city, but in that futuristic series, like what was your inspiration and your thinking there? I was just trying to go bold, uh, you know, change up the colors, make the logos. Like I made a lot of the jerseys had really big logos on them mm -hmm. and some had tech, you know, new colors. A lot of them were kind of glowing with neon. I just wanted to, well, I, I would imagine jerseys would, change a bit more than that in a thousand years i was just trying to make it look like you know glowing and kind of yeah sparkling and, you know, so when you size. sit down to to do something like this um like how do you even start like what is the thought process and and like how how long does it take you to go from hey this is my idea to actually having a fully designed and created jersey like you do so i start off i kind of think about 
what I'm going to do throughout my day. And sometimes I'll have ideas that come to me. I'll just try to hold on to them for a while. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't take me too long, but sometimes it can. Like with Philly's jersey, I just posted yesterday. I sat on that, I sat on that one for a long time. I wasn't sure really where to go. I made a couple of different versions that I never really liked. And I kind of came to this conclusion, which I put up yesterday, which I, I'm pretty happy with. But it, uh, I kind of mess around, see some different ideas. And then once I kind of find what I like the best, if I don't have a set in stone idea before I started, I just kind of roll with it. Yeah. Okay. And maybe this, like why jerseys? You must be a, you're obviously a huge hockey fan. You know, it just feels like this kind of cool art concept that is so now that we're talking about it, it feels so obvious, but like, I've never seen anybody doing the type of stuff that you're doing. Uh, I, I play a lot of NHL and then I'd always make custom teams and jerseys there. And I had a ton of fun doing that. I'd make like 30 teams and have jerseys for all of them, but I got kind of annoyed with the uh, limited logos and jersey styles you could choose from. So I've, I'd seen the templates out there before and I never really thought about buying them until I was, I just kind of, I came to the conclusion. I was like, you know what? I think I got to invest in this and it, it worked out, you know, I had a lot of fun with this account and, you know. So is it just that for you? Like, obviously it's fun and it's very cool. And like your followers are totally growing and stuff, but I have, I have like, you got to think I, I must, there must've been teams that have reached out to you or, or are interested in talking or you feel like you do something and then a team kind of does something similar. Like has any of that happened or is it going to, ha- what's your hope here? Talk about that a bit. That would be great. Uh, I've had, no one's really reached out just yet. I've had a few smaller teams and people ask me to do stuff, which I've worked on. I don't think I've ever had anything physically produced yet. Uh-huh. Uh, which is which is one of the goals of mine. You could say a larger goal would be, you know, maybe working for a team, yeah, a team, making their jerseys. And I've, people always comment, you know, the NHL should hire you, stuff like that. Totally, man. I think those are funny, but that'd be great. But that's that's a that's a high goal. I mean, I think if they did, they would certainly sell a lot of jerseys. And I, I guess that's one of the knocks on on changing it. I mean, I don't mind it, but you do sort of hear that pushback sometimes that, oh, the Canucks have changed the logo. They're going to do it just to try and sell a bunch more jerseys. But for people who look at that stuff from kind of a collector's perspective, I love it when they do that. How do you feel about that? Um, it, it's high risk, high reward. I know some teams have successfully done it. And sometimes I've failed. Like I know the fishermen, they I think the goal of the fisherman jersey was to sell more jerseys and that totally backfired. But I think with a lot of teams now, people want those retro jerseys back, like in Arizona with the Kachina. I think I believe that was a pretty big success. And I think in Vancouver, if they went back to the skate logo, that would that would hit. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, because you're obviously a huge fan here. Tell me what, like, what are the best, maybe give me like your top three jerseys in the NHL. So like I said, I'm a huge fan of classic jerseys. I've got the Penguins winter classic up there and then a Blackhawks one Yep, over here. Uh, I'd say this Penguins jersey, the uh, 2011 winter classic navy blue is in the top three. Uh, I'll I'll go at Pittsburgh, my favorite team. So I'll choose outside of them. Uh, Rangers winter classic navy blue. I really yep. I like navy blue a lot. Yep. And then I think I'll go with the uh I like the uh, Kachina. I like the style. I'm not a huge fan of the Kachina colors. Uh 
King's purple. King's purple. And wow. Purple. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I would say like for me, it's that Canucks skate in black, obviously, because, you know, for, same thing as Pittsburgh for you. And I've always really, really liked the Bruins logo. It's just so I feel like it's so yeah. simple and the colors are great. And then that was the 3021 one of yours that I loved the most. Right. It was sort of like the bear claw marks on it. I think that's really good. And then actually some of the ones, the Florida ones you did were really great, too. I think I like the Tampa Bay jersey. Like that's some really great stuff there as well. Um, yeah. And like you, I guess like the colors thing you really experiment with some of that as well, which again is one of these things that you sort of, do you view it when you go in to make something like this? Do you view it as I'm going to use whatever colors I want, or do you think you're going to try and stick with sort of what, what the team has for colors? How does that work? So when, if I'm going to make say just a normal alternate Jersey, I would probably stay closer to the colors, but I kind of, the way I've, organize my account i kind of go i make a series and then i kind of roll with that like the futuristic 3021 the city edition and then i did one where it was a rebrand series where i made three jerseys for every team but my goal of that series was to change up the color scheme at least a little bit some more than others with you know maybe original six teams i didn't change so much but teams like tampa and florida you can have a little bit more fun with and change up the colors and i have fun uh so I like to have some meaning when I change the colors, but I don't just pick random colors. Like say for Ford, I, I wanted to go kind of sunny and citrusy. things. Like totally, that. man. Like the palm tree with the hockey stick. Like it just, it feels so like undone, you know, it just is so great. I, like it, it actually reminded me of the skate Jersey. You know, it's something that there's like an image in there. That's not just, I don't know. Um, like a, like a big letter or whatever, even though I do like that. So yeah. Why do you think that people just love this so much? Like jerseys in general, you know, it's become this like secondary. Th it's like almost a, as big as the sport itself is like talking about the jerseys and the colors and the collecting. I saw you posted, you have some Jordans that you've designed as well. Like that collecting has become really huge. W what do you think about that? Uh, it's, it's creative. I know there's so many different jerseys out there. I think, I mean, collecting pretty big no matter what it is. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. I have all these different designs. My collection is pretty small. It's just I've got a, two more than what I have up here. But uh, I definitely want to dive into that, you know, just seeing all these different designs. Actually, seeing the jersey in person can change my opinion on it a lot. Oh, really? So, okay. So, for, for example, the, the Penguins Golden alternate jersey I have in my wall back there. Uh, seeing on the ice, I still like it. It's I think it's it's a good jersey. It's not great, but. When I got it in person, I got it in a mystery box because I like collecting and I was yeah, yeah. because I'm a Penguins fan. But I think it looks a lot better in person. Just, yeah. Just in my opinion. That's super cool how that happens. And like, you know, sometimes you don't like something at first and then it kind of grows on you and you you learn to love it and stuff. But man, I just I think what you're doing is super cool. And I don't know, I think that for me, it seems like a very realistic goal to, you know, end up be working for the NHL because the stuff you do is like super legit, man. The website or the Instagram page is awesome. Uh, we'll plug it again. Uh, CD24 underscore design. That's it. Thank you so much for the conversation. And I totally wish you well with all you do. And when you like book that big ticket, like we'll have you back on and we can talk about it. Okay. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. 
Uh, so there was some big news today here in British Columbia, where I am. I'm in the CKNW 980 studios in Vancouver, and uh, this is. I wanted. I wanted to dive into this because this is affecting my life personally, and I know a lot of people across the country are having a lot of similar feelings. So here in BC, uh, an announcement was made today that back to school is going to be delayed by one week from January 3rd until January 10th. So BC is joining uh, a bunch of other provinces, uh, some of the maritime provinces, Newfoundland, Labrador, PEI, Quebec, Manitoba, I think that might be all of them, have all announced that back to school will be delayed and we're expecting an announcement in Ontario soon. And if, if you're a parent, I am a parent, I have a daughter in kindergarten, this is this is like frustrating. It's shocking. It's hard to deal with. Uh, some people think that this is a good idea. Some people think that it's a bad idea. There's a lot. There's a lot going on here and a lot to unpack. Like now, my wife and I have to plan childcare for a week, and there's the discussion around uh, uh, what's what's worse, COVID or the mental health thing for students. Uh, the online learning thing is a difficult thing. Parents have to facilitate that. There's a ton of stuff to unpack. But one of the things that I feel like doesn't necessarily get discussed, especially amongst my peer group as other parents, is what teachers feel like in in these situations. Because we're so concerned about my kids, how's this going to affect my life? And those concerns are legitimate. But I also, I want to be aware of what teachers are feeling and why uh, they were pushing, because here in BC, the BCTF uh, was pushing the government to delay by a week. So uh, here now to help us kind of navigate some of this discussion is the president of the BCTF, Terry Mooring. Thanks so much for joining us, Terry. I, uh, I understand it's probably been a pretty hectic day for you. It has been a busy day. Thanks for having me, though. Of course. So the news broke for anyone who hasn't heard it today that BC is going to join several other provinces across the country in delaying the start of school in the new year until the 10th of January as opposed to the 3rd of January. Now, obviously, this is because of Omicron and people have been uh, concerned about this has kind of been in the talks. What was the the moment that we tipped over the scales here as like we need to cancel this? Obviously, it's been in talks for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, we've certainly been meeting with the Ministry Steering Committee and we've met with the minister and the new deputy minister as well and been having conversations. But I think as we see case counts climb and, you know, today's numbers are quite frankly staggering um, that, you know, obviously there was an understanding of a need to provide some planning for those safety measures to be put in place um, in January. So, you know, we're seeing a revisiting of some of the same safety measures that were in place earlier um, but, you know, we also see some gaps here and we also had some questions about what we heard. So, you know, there's some good things. It's good that we have some time for planning. Um, but there, we think that there's other safety measures that need to be put in place as well. Okay, sure. And can you, can you speak to what that is at all that, I mean, obviously I have, uh, two young kids, I, my entire peer group, we all have kids are going to school and stuff, and we're all going to have to make adjustments and that sort of thing. But, um, safety is our first priority and we have all sorts of questions, but we've kind of been, uh, bending to the whims of experts through this whole process. Um, what is it that teachers would like to see happen in schools that would make them feel, uh, make it feel that it's a safer environment for students and for the teachers and all the staff there. 
Yeah, well, we've been pushing a proactive approach all along. And, and you know, instead of that, we've seen more of a reactive one. Um, we were hoping to see something about N95 masks. Mm-hmm. We know with the Omicron variant that mask quality is really important. And we don't think that families should have to provide N95 masks because some families just can't do that, of course. Um, we were also hoping to hear a little bit more about ventilation systems. Omicron, like the previous variants and COVID-19 itself, is an aerosol transmission. And so we know that masks and ventilation systems are really critical. And about half the ventilation system, or half the districts in the province, I should say, don't have adequate ventilation systems. They don't have MRF-13 filters. They have something less than that. And MRF-13 is the standard of filter that really helps to ensure that air is safe to breathe. And, um, and that's the minimum standard. And so we only have about half of districts that have them. Um, you know, we were also hoping to hear that teachers would be fast-tracked for booster shots. Um, and, you know, we didn't hear that, unfortunately. Most teachers are younger than 60 or 50 years old. And so, you know, they're going to have to wait for those booster shots. And there's a real, this is really short-sighted, we feel, because um, we also have a very critical teacher and education assistant shortage. Mm-hmm. And so we're concerned, because what we're seeing with Omicron, of course, is that even vaccinated people get Omicron. And so teachers are vaccinated at 90, 96% levels, which is you know really excellent. But we're hearing from teachers all over the place who are double vaccinated and have gotten Omicron. And so we're concerned that without the booster shots, you know, we're going to see functional closures of schools across the province in January, and we want to keep schools open. We think booster shots would help with that. The other really concerning factor here is that elementary schools are where we're seeing the vast majority of transmission right now, where we're seeing most of the cases of COVID this year. And unfortunately, the vaccination rates for 5 to 11-year-olds is really low. Mm -hmm. And so in Vancouver Coastal Health, for example, it's at a 50% rate, and we're only talking the first dose because no children have their second dose yet. No children are fully vaccinated. Um, you know, and we're seeing in Northern Health, for example, it's only 15%. And the other health authorities are kind of in between 15% and 50%. That's a real, those are really low rates. Mm-hmm. And so we're concerned that we're going to see a lot you know, of both kids and adults getting sick with COVID, especially in those elementary years. Yeah. And I mean, I want to point out, it feels like the things that, um, that you talk about teachers wanting to see those feel like it doesn't feel like a tall order and 95 masks. Let's upgrade some filters. Let's talk about boosters. All of those things seem like really common sense, very practical things that shouldn't be too, too hard to, to facilitate for what, um, I mean, I'd certainly consider it an essential service, uh, like right up there with the most important, um, in, in our communities and stuff. And, uh, you talk about, you know, we, teachers want to be back in schools and, there's been this discussion all along. We've seen it in the news that, you know, teachers are paying for their own supplies in school. And and like, maybe you can talk about that, about um, some teachers willingness to do whatever is necessary for their students and how hard a decision this is for them. Yeah, it's been really tough. And I think the best example of how tough it's been is that we surveyed teachers three times, one time with the university of British Columbia over two school years. 
And in every single one of those surveys, teachers at an 80% rate have indicated their mental and physical health has declined over the course of the pandemic, and it is directly related to health and safety measures in schools. In other words, teachers feel such a burden to keep everyone in the system safe, to ensure kids hand wash, wear masks, stay as physically distanced as they can, um, and, and they know that there aren't the safety measures in place that, they, that needs to be there. Um, and so that has put a lot of pressure and strain and stress on teachers. And so, you know, we're really also concerned, quite frankly, about teacher burnout. And, you know, we're seeing that in the health sector and, and that's, you know, that's understandable as well. You know, our health systems are really being overwhelmed. But, you know, teachers aren't used to being frontline workers in this sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has been really difficult and it, it would have been easier, uh, you know, had the province and the provincial health office taken a, a much more proactive approach. The measures that we're calling for today, with the exception of boosters, are not new measures. These are things that we've been calling for, you know, during the entire course of the pandemic. And so we do think they're reasonable. They are all designed to keep schools open. No teacher wants to go online. Um, you know, we do have distributed learning courses, of course, and so and those are really good programs, and and that that's a different thing than emergency remote learning like we've done before, or you know, or taking your in-class learning online. That that is not satisfying for anyone. It's not satisfying for families. It's really difficult for families to manage. We understand that it's difficult on teachers. Sometimes, especially older students, don't engage. Um, and that's really stressful as well. So we want to keep schools open, um, but we think there are more measures that need to be in place in order to do that. Certainly. We're, like we're concerned that schools are just going to be closing over the course of January because there aren't, won't be enough staff or there'll be too many students that are absent to keep schools open. Uh, we want to avoid that. Yeah. So maybe that uh, is a great segue into this question and uh, speak to it as as much as you can. Do you anticipate that we'll be back in schools by January 10th? I, I do, you know, but I'm reluctant to say absolutely because, you know, look at the case counts today. Mm-hmm. I think it's, they're going to be more tomorrow and more the day after that. And what we heard Dr. Henry today say is that the actual cases of uh, the the variant right now could be four times that because we know testing stations have been overwhelmed, contact tracing isn't happening anymore. And so, you know, we've also heard that schools are reflective of the communities that they're in. And so we're really concerned that we're gonna see a real explosion of uh, Omicron in schools as well. And, you know, right now it's hard to understand because, you know, earlier on we were told that young children didn't transmit the virus or even get the virus as readily as adults. That's not the case for Omicron. So it's hard to imagine how, you know, the virus is not going to really accelerate through schools when they do open. Yeah. And uh, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I will say, and this is completely anecdotal, but for me, uh, when they started delaying some NHL games, I was like, oh, here we go. The whole season, it's going to be months, but I mean, the Canucks are playing tonight. So there is, there is some hope there, but um, maybe let's, let's leave it at this. If there's anything that you could say 
uh, to parents either to encourage or also uh, things that we can do to protect our own kids and uh, get us back to, I mean, obviously I, my kids love school. That's where we need them to be. I, mm-hmm. you know, we have concerns about my, our kids' mental health, um, all of that type of stuff. Maybe just a final word on, on that and how we can get back to things being normal. Sure. Th- thanks for the question. I really appreciate it. There are two key factors that, that parents could do to really help schools stay safe. One is get your child vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Please get your child vaccinated. Even amongst the 12 to 17 year olds, those rates are much lower than the adult population. Get your children vaccinated. Um, and the other is encourage your child to wear a mask at school. A mask wearing has been really difficult to implement. Um, you know, of course, no one really wants to do that. But once you get used to it, it's no big deal. Most of us forget we even have it on. And so those two things are, are something really tangible that, that families could do to really protect their own children and protect other people's children. Because in that in your child's class, there could very well be medically vulnerable children or they could have medically vulnerable family members. And, and that's who we're really trying to protect right now. Great. Uh, Terry Mooring is the president of the BCTF. Thank you so much for giving us some time on what I'm sure is a very busy day. Uh, Best wishes and best of luck to you as we navigate uh, the coming weeks here. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 